and all my gorgeous listeners and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast. Here we chat all about the wonders of sex, sexuality and the body. I'm your host Dr. Caroline West and as always I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society and of course me with the sex podcast. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise It really, really does help to keep the mics on. Or if you want to, please pop over to Apple and rate and review. It helps get the word out about the podcast. If you want to contact me about it, the Instagram and Twitter is at Glow West Podcast. So today we are talking about the wonderful word of food and sex, although not quite splashing. That's probably another podcast, although I will get to that at some point. And um, today I'm talking about how the food we eat can impact the kind of sex that we have as well. So I have an excellent guest um, here today to chat to me all about the wonders of that. As an acupuncturist and herbalist in private practice, Christine Delosier is a special, oh sorry, how do you say the L? Delosier. No, but the L. Oh, uh, licensed acupuncturist. Licensed actually. Okay, perfect. Um, Okay. But I don't need to say that if I've just said you're an acupuncturist. Right. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, we'll start that again. Um. As a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist in private practice, Christine Delosier specializes in sexual health, treating males, females, and all orientations and identities. In addition to treating patients with acupuncture, she works with them to develop dietary habits that support their sexual goals. Christine studied biology and psychology at the University of Rochester, where she also trained to be a research scientist. She also holds master's degrees in acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, and counseling. During her education, she studied Chinese dietary therapy and earned a certificate as a holistic nutritional counsellor. She treats every patient holistically as an individual and wishes to use her unique skill set to help others in a kind, loving way. Christine, thanks, Amel, for joining me. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. A little rushed today, but thank you so much for having me on your show. Perfect. No, I know you've just done a full day's work. So I appreciate the fact that you're now doing a little bit extra work to, to chat on the podcast. So I do appreciate that. Well, like your work is fascinating. And I suppose very unusual to a lot of people. Talk us through how you got involved in this particular line of work. So uh, acupuncture, I fell in love with because I love natural. I love I love nature. And so my approach to health and well-being is, you know, has always been a natural one. I've always sought out just out of my own curiosity, how can we fix things and, and just promote health, you know, by without pharmaceuticals, you know, even though that there's a place for those, but um, with things that, you know, how can we help our bodies do that? And so acupuncture was a really good fit for me. I love food. I like the aesthetic of food. I'm a foodie. I like cooking. I like taking pictures of food. So bringing in kind of my, my background in research, uh, into that arena was fun and exciting to me. You know, I, I was able to help support my patients, um, in the clinic with, um, you know, to, to support their treatment goals in that effort, because I really wanted to see what does science have to say about, how food affects sex. I mean, we know that when we're healthier, we have better sex, but what do the foods actually do? You know, and I, I didn't start out specializing in sexual health. I started out just like most acupuncturists do treating a lot of back pain, neck pain, headaches, things like that, that insurance companies typically pay for. 
But one day I had a patient who came in and asked me if I could do anything to help him have stronger erections. And uh, that we had really great results. Um, one of the places that I placed a needle was in his perineum, uh, which was, you know, something that I was even nervous to ask him if I could do. Um, it's a major crossing point of nerves associated with sexual function. Um, but it was, you know, he came back the next week and he said he was so happy that he and his wife, you know, really benefited from um, the treatment. And I ended up treating a few more patients that also had really good results. And I thought, wow, this is something that really has the potential to um, benefit people's relationships and people's lives. So that's, wow. that's how I'm here. Okay, so talk me through acupuncture. Um, for those who don't know what it is, it's more than just randomly sticking needles in into somebody's body. There's a bit more to it than that. Sure. So um, the, we have to kind of understand acupuncture both traditionally and biomedically to really get a sense of it because it doesn't really translate one to one. Um, we when chi is blocked, you know, chi is the vital life substance that flows through our bodies, through the channels of our bodies. And when chi is blocked or deficient, we have disease. When chi flows freely and abundantly, we have health. And of course, that translates to sex as well. You know, the, the channels correspond with the nervous system and the vascular system. And when we stimulate points on the nervous system, you know, in, in understanding that every substance produced by the body, every hormone, every neurotransmitter is ultimately controlled by the nervous system. When we stimulate points on the nervous system, we affect change in the body chemistry. And some of the things that have been studied in research are things like dopamine, serotonin, um, even some of, some of the sex hormones, like testosterone and, and estrogen, as well as even histamine, cortisol, all, all sorts of things um, that change in relation to acupuncture. So when we do something, um, you know, to affect the, the body chemistry and hormones, we can help improve sexual health. Okay. And maybe some people understand it through terms of like pressure points and, and kind of, but they might necessarily think about the gentles in that. I think pressure points usually it's like the side of your, your temple or your wrist or something like that. And then like a lot of things in life, we forget that sex is part of it. You know, it's like self-care, yeah. go for a walk, put on a face mask and nobody says masturbate. You know, we kind of right. forget that that part exists. So is that like, a specialist part of acupuncture or is it a regular part or do you have to go see someone special to get to get the sex part of things involved no i mean I, all acupuncturists would be trained to treat sexual dysfunction i specialize in it so i've spent a lot of time you know really learning more about it and you know not everybody not all acupuncturists would do things like needle the perineum, you know, or underneath the, the coccyx, for example, which are two points that I use a lot with my patients. And they're important points because, you know, the, the point in the perineum is a major crossing point of nerves associated with sexual function. And when you needle that area, you bring a lot more blood flow in the short term, you know, even in the immediate um, and circulation to that area. So uh, yeah. So, I mean, everybody's different, but you can, you can go to any acupuncturist. There are not a lot that really specialize in sexual health. Okay. Okay. And then you also then work with Chinese dietary therapy. So talk us through what that is and how that flows with acupuncture. Sure. So it's, you know, I looked at 
uh, nutrition for sexual health from both the Chinese medical lens and also from a research lens, you know, from a science lens. And they're pretty compatible. There's a couple, there's a couple of points that, that aren't hundred percent in agreement, but from Chinese, from a Chinese medical perspective, um, health, you know, for sex is promoting the free flow of chi, you know, and blood. We, and we know that that translates pretty easily. We want blood flow to the penis. We want blood flow to the clitoris, to the vagina, um, because those, you know, that promotes erections, it promotes lubrication, it promotes um, sexual satisfaction and pleasure. And so um, anything that blocks the chi is something that we want to cut out of our diets. So things like greasy, fatty foods, they slow the chi down, they block the chi, they cause a physical blockage, you know, like plaque accumulation, and they also slow down nerve conduction. So if we look at what great sex is physiologically, of course, it's when our nerves are firing strong, rapid impulses to and from the genitals. It's when our blood vessels are delivering optimal blood when our sex hormones are balanced. So, you know, we kind of see those in Chinese medical terms as, you know, the hormonal balance, we kind of see it as like a balance of yin and yang. You know, we see uh, the the movement of qi as things like nerve impulses and nerve nerve conduction. And of course, blood flow is, is self-explanatory. So um, when we think about diet that promotes this balance, it's a balance of the five flavors. So the five flavors are, are sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and acrid. And when we favor some of those and neglect others, we cause imbalances in the diet. And we can see that very easily in the standard American diet. For example, we favor the sweet flavor. We favor the salty flavor because that's what's in processed foods. That's what our taste buds like. And we neglect things like the bitter flavor, which are leafy greens and um, you know kale and spinach and, and all those things. And we, we neglect the sour flavor, which are our fruits. And so in doing so, we cause, you know, imbalances that, that make for sex that isn't as good. Okay. So like, like some of that seems kind of like common sense as well, you know, and even things like if you have so much sugar, it upsets like pH balance and vaginas and stuff, because we're not meant to have a super sugary diet. So that's kind of important. Um, so where, where do you go? Where do you bring all that knowledge into orgasms and bringing it into your, your patients? Like are people resistant to the idea of, Hey, if you eat well, you have better orgasms. I mean, that's kind of a good carrot on a stick for a lot of people. Yeah. Everybody's different. Some people are totally gung ho. Like they want to change everything. They want to know what can I do for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? We're just going to completely, you know, reconstruct our whole diet, whole diet. And other people are, you know, they, they like their routine and they don't, they're not as, as amenable to, to changes. What I suggest for patients is, you know, try some changes out for a couple of weeks and see how you feel, you know, see, see how sex is for you, because there are, there are foods that literally have an immediate effect on sex. So for example, if you go out with your partner for dinner, for example, and you have a greasy, um, fatty meal, it's going to immediately, um, sharply drop testosterone. So that's not good for sex. For example, it's going to immediately stiffen blood vessel vessels measurably, which we see in research as is like a salty meal. And, you know, if, on the other hand, if you eat, um, a leafy green 
rich meal, like a one serving of spinach, for example, in one research, in one study out there showed that salivary nitric oxide levels were eight times that of baseline. So just with one serving of spinach, what that means is more blood flow. So you have short-term benefits, you have long-term benefits, but, um, and of course it, it depends on where you're starting out to. If you're starting out from a position of I'm already having pretty good sex, um, you know, you might see those benefits even sooner. You know, you might be like, wow, that was a great orgasm or that was a great erection. Um, the, you know, if you, if somebody hasn't had erections in years, it's a different starting point and it's a different, you know, kind of trajectory, of course. So if someone hasn't had an erection in years, and again, that's, it's, there's so many reasons for it. And again, there's no shame or stigma in that. It's just part of owning a penis. Like sometimes it goes a bit not the way you want it to and that's fine um but what can people do so if they're listening at home now and they they're experiencing that and they've tried maybe perhaps like western medicine and medication and it's not quite doing it what would you recommend their first few steps to be well i would say that um you know certainly if you haven't had an erection in a while i would and you really want one then i would say um drastically changing your diet you know, if, if you're already having really good sex and you want to boost it and you want to make simple changes, that's fine. But the research, what the research says is that, you know, if, so those arteries, as you know, in the penis and clitoris are among the smallest in the body and they get blocked the quickest. So any kind of plaque accumulation goes there first. So that kind of blockage has always been thought of as progressive and irreversible blockage. Um, that's not entirely true. And they're finding more research now that shows that it's not. There are actually certain foods that have been shown in studies to reverse some of that blockage. Not, it's not like night and day, unfortunately, but it is, you know, some, it is, uh, you know, partial uh, removal of some of that plaque accumulation. And those are spinach, leafy greens, all of those. I mean, spinach and, and leafy greens are one of the best things that you could possibly have for sex. And there are a number of reasons it it kind of addresses that entire trifecta of great sex. So according to research, uh, spinach and, and other, you know, dark leaves reduce cortisol and cortisol disrupts testosterone. So um, you can help indirectly optimize your testosterone, which is going to help your libido. It's going to help blood flow uh, by having those leafy greens. The leafy greens also have lots of antioxidants in those, and those are shown to um, speed nerve conduction. So for example, patients with type two diabetes, they've done a number of studies like this where they increase their antioxidants and then they measure nerve conduction. So a lot of times type two diabetics um, have um, more difficulty achieving orgasm, um, more difficult erections and just sexual, um, sexual difficulties all around. And so what they did is they, they gave type two diabetics who are experiencing those problems extra antioxidants. And they showed that their nerves fired stronger, more rapid signals, you know, and, and they had better um, sexual function just with antioxidants. So that's another benefit of leafy greens. And um, finally, they have loads of nutrients, which promote vascular health and blood flow. They improve the elasticity of blood vessels um, to the penis and to the clitoris. 
and vagina. And so all around, you know, starting that's a really big change that you can make. And that's going to give you probably the most bang for your buck is probably just like really adopting a leafy green, healthy, you know, uh, heavy diet. So what I say to my patients is, okay, if you want to make one step towards having better sex, try to have a leafy green set every single day that you can, you know, or just maybe try doing it while you're during your work week. And, um, that's a, that's a huge one because that one leafy green salad, especially if you throw in like a big DM with it, with the skin on is going to give a a huge portion of your daily minerals and nutrients that are going to help, um, have better sex. Okay. So the wonders of spinach, Popeye was not wrong on uh, (laughs) how great it was. So, um, fab. And then, so for those who are the proud owner of a vulva, a lot of the time, especially, um, especially perhaps maybe younger people who haven't, you know, they're still learning about their bodies and things like this, they may find it difficult to orgasm um, with a partner. I know some of that is technique, bad technique on behalf of the other partner. Um, we have to acknowledge that not everyone is very skilled in bed sometimes. Um, is it a different routine or is it still, you know, spinach and eating well or are there extra steps that you can do to have a happy, healthy vulva? Well, Um, One of the things that I would focus most on with female patients wanting to have an easier time orgasming is on that nerve conduction speed. So things like bringing in things like mushrooms, um, things like uh, other, well, of course, any antioxidant is good. Um, There are one, some that are superstars. We already talked about leafy greens. Another one of them is mushrooms. And there's a lot of research to show how mushrooms affect nerves. They have a particular benefit to nerves um, and nerve conduction. And, and, but it's the same, the same mode of action. It's basic. It's based on, well, actually, no, there's two, two ways that mushrooms do that. One way is that they are loaded with antioxidants which strengthen nerve conduction. They help repair nerve damage, you know, caused by oxidative stress. And um, so they, they quicken those nerve signals. The other thing that mushrooms do uh, is that they actually improve the microbiome. So they improve biodiversity in the, in those microbes that are living in our digestive tract. They improve populations that are associated with health and they decrease populations associated with pathology. And so that's how they exert their effect on those other systems in the body, which is really fascinating. It's, it's so cool how mushrooms, I mean, we could have a whole show just on we mushrooms. Could. And- <laughs> yeah. Well, there's one on Netflix at the moment. I think it's called like fantastic fungi or something or fung- fungi, however you pronounce it, fungi. Um, and, but I, now spoiler, I haven't gone all the way through yet, but I, they haven't mentioned sex just yet. And again, that's like, oh, you know, we'll talk about mental and physical wellness, but we won't talk about sexual wellness. Now, hopefully they do get to that point, but they're just, you know, saying how much of a just a wondrous substance mushrooms are Uh, haven't mentioned the sex part of things well people don't tend to think about sex as being something that's affected by what we eat you know we think of sex as this psychological experience you know um and speaking of psychological experiences um for for many uh vulva owners the experience of orgasm is not just having strong nerve conduction. It's also being in the right headspace. And, 
you know, people can have anxiety associated with having an orgasm with, you know, how they look, how they smell, how they taste, all of those things that can inhibit that. One of the things that's great for that, again, we have a food solution here, is um, helping our bodies to be in a better, um, you know, have less anxiety and have a better mood. Food can actually do that too. So for example, vitamin C was shown in lots of studies to rapidly improve mood and reduce anxiety. Uh, potassium is another one. Potassium is one of those things that most people don't get enough of it. There's a lot of studies showing that I read one that said something like 97% of Americans don't get enough potassium in our diets. Now, human beings used to get about 10 times as much potassium in our diets as sodium. Now it's just the reverse because of our processed diets. So we get about 10 times as much sodium as potassium. And in order to deal with all of that sodium, our kidneys have to flush out more potassium and then we're forced to conserve it in other ways. And what it ends up doing is it kind of wreaks havoc on our blood vessels, but also it affects our mental health. So lots of studies have shown that potassium, a potassium rich diet very much reduces anxiety. It improves overall mental health. Um, it reduces even, um, even, uh, mental health issues like uh, depression and, and, and other things. So, but there aren't a lot of foods that actually have a lot of potassium in them. There's only, a, there's a really short list of things that we eat on a regular, you know, that were, that are common foods and it's, you know, potatoes with the skins on them, yams with the skins on them, squash, um, oranges, mangoes, bananas, and leafy greens. I mean, I think there are, there are a few others out there, but of the really common ones, that's it. You really small. have to make an, yeah. yeah, you really have to make an effort and those you give you about 20% for a serving of them. So you really have to make a conscious choice to have at least a couple of them in your diet in addition to whatever else you're eating. Okay. Well, and thinking back to, you know, studying things like aphrodisiacs, I think like the, the science I was reading about that, like things like yams um, and bananas would have been considered aphrodisiacs aphrodisiacs because of the reasons that you just said but we just generally think of them as oysters and chocolate and strawberries and you know mushrooms are an aphrodisiac as well but essentially it's it's just a shorthand word for everything that you've just said there about mushrooms as well so can you talk us through maybe perhaps some of the the, the myths about aphrodisiacs like are they really that powerful is it a thing or like you said it's just essentially vitamins and minerals they're not like superfoods as in uh, you know they're just good foods. They're good for you. Yeah. So let me, let me talk for a moment about the most well-known aphrodisiac Spanish fly. So Spanish fly is from the blister beetle and consuming it. What it does is it actually does work. You know, it does work to bring more blood flow to the genitals. Um, but it does so by irritating the urinode, the, the genital tract. Um, and so it can be quite dangerous. And there've been loads and loads of deaths throughout history from using Spanish fly, some famous, um, you know, some not, not so famous. Um, but um, a lot of times some of these do have an immediate benefit and a powerful benefit, but their safety makes it not really worth, um, you know, really getting, getting mixed up with them. On the other hand, there's some culinary aphrodisiacs. I have a whole chapter on aphrodisiacs in my book. And there are most of the ones that I included have a few studies. I, I tried to only include things that had some research to support it, but 
we're not talking about a huge body of research. We're talking about a few studies here and there for, for each of them. Yeah. One of the more well-researched ones and ha- the ones that had the, the you know, more evidence was something like saffron. And saffron has been used with animals and with humans um, for sexual health. And there are a lot of studies to support that, you know, eating saffron makes people hornier and ha- they have more sex and they have better sex. So, um, so, you know, some, some do actually have some benefit, you know, things like cloves, cloves in, I saw a couple of studies, one of them showed that it had an effect within a couple hours of eating it. Um, most of the other ones were like, they, the subjects would take the aphrodisiac over a longer period of time, and then they would measure sexual function. So it wasn't like, oh, here, let's slip you this, these cloves, and then we're going to get busy. You know, it was more like a long-term kind of effect. Yeah, it's not an instant, boom, there you go. Yeah. It's like a Viagra kind of thing. Right, right. Okay, a clove-shaped Viagra. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we have to be patient with some of our aphrodisiacs. And it's basically kind of just living well, really, isn't it? And like all of that sounds a lot nicer than oysters. I just, I can't, I can't <laughs> I just even looking at it. I know I'm just, oh, no. Well, think about oysters. Oysters for one single oyster. I want to say, I can't remember how much zinc it was, but I was astounded by how much zinc is in a very small amount of oysters. I think that that's why they have the reputation for, for being an aphrodisiac because zinc is um, crucial to sexual function. And when we're not getting enough of it, it can really, um, you know, it can really affect us. So for some of my patients, taking a zinc supplement has been a really big help to their, to their sex lives. Um, but of course I always recommend, um, patients balancing out minerals and, you know, when you take one mineral, they compete with each other. And so, you know, you take, just calcium, for example, and you can, you know, cause yourself a magnesium deficiency or vice versa. So, uh, but anyways, uh, yeah. So zinc is, is really important. You, you can get your zinc other ways though. There are a lot of other ways to get zinc. You can get it from leafy greens. You can get it from, um, if you eat red meat, that's a very bioavailable source of zinc for base eaters. You have to be soaking your grains in your legumes. If you're not, you're not going to be able to um, absorb the zinc that's in the food because it's oh, bound yeah. to something called phytates it's it's like activating it or something is that what the expression is The yeah the phytates make it unabsorbable by your body but if you soak it it actually just removes the phytates so you just drain the water and then you cook your beans or your grains and you'll you know it'll have that bioavailable zinc Okay. And then so you mentioned there about supplements and stuff like would it be better than rather than taking the individual ones to take a multivitamin or like I think the science is out isn't it sometimes on how effective some of the multivitamins may be. Yeah I, I recommend like a multi-mineral. Uh, the one I usually recommend to my patients is Mary Ruth's Organics. It's I like it it's a liquid and you just take it in the evening and it's it's balanced so um, that's the one I recommend. They also have a liquid multi-mineral or multivitamin for the day and a multi-mineral for the evening. It also, I sometimes recommend it to patients who have difficulty sleeping as well. Okay. And I think what, like, what about things like probiotics as well? Cause I know, you know, a lot of us would be familiar with antibiotics, but the downside of antibiotics is how great they are, like, you know, fixing whatever infection we have, but they can also strip us of the good 
bacteria that's in our bodies. So probiotics are really good for bringing that back in. But can that help with with things like sex if you were taking them on a regular basis? I I didn't come across um, research to support that. A lot of the problem with a lot of the probiotics is that they don't colonize in the digestive tract. Some, you know, there's some claim to, but um, you can also eat prebiotics. So you can, whatever bacteria populations and, you know, microbial populations you're feeding with the food you eat are the ones that are going to proliferate more. So, you know, when you eat a good prebiotic, like berries, like mushrooms, that's actually how a lot of those mushrooms were able to change the microbiome was through um, their prebiotic effect. So basically just nourishing those, those microbes that we want. And, you know, things like sweets, uh, you know, refined sugars, they kind of feed the, the, the bad stuff. And a lot of the refined things are basically not, you know, not good for your microbiome. So, uh, so yeah, you can, if you can't, you can take a probiotic. Um, I just am not, I'm not familiar with research, um, on showing that they were, uh, you know, particularly effective beyond like correcting digestive type issues. Yeah. I've seen some that says that they're really good for skincare because we can wash mm. off a lot of the good bacteria on our skin with our cleansing products and stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. this, again, the sex part didn't come into the, that aspect. So um, yeah. t- talk me through your book. So your book is called Diet for Great Sex. And it's it's not, it's, it's not diet as in weight loss diet because right. it's, no. that's a totally different thing. So it's talk me through that because you have a sex action plan in it, which I really like the sound of. Yeah. So basically, um, I kind of took all of my interests and put it into this book. You know, I took my background in research and science and I said, okay, let's just see what science says. And any, whatever had a substantial amount of research to support that it helped with, with sex, I included it in the book. But basically, the book is a look at what foods will help improve blood flow, strengthen nerve conduction, and help balance sex hormones to optimize them. So that's kind of how it's laid out. And then it also honors the wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine. So there's a chapter that looks at what does, you know, TCM say about about what we should eat for great sex. That sounds like a nice mix of, of, of everything kind of putting in there. So it sounds great. Um, and I wonder, you know, with the sample menus and stuff is it like is it accessible because some cookbooks are really accessible and others you're like I have to go find a teaspoon of this ingredient I've never heard of and you know is like 20 euro for a tiny drop of it and it's like oh that's uh, that's hard I I mean okay put it this way it's accessible for definitely for an American palate there's a couple recipes in there so I I did a recipe for the daily mail. And there was, uh, there were some chilies in there and she was saying, we don't sell chilies. You know, we don't like buy chilies at the grocery store, what? you know? So wait, wait, the daily mail. So in England. Yeah. No, yeah, they were saying that they don't have a lot of chilies, like jarred or, you know, like chilies available to what? us. I was like, no, oh, okay. that is nonsense. Well, the daily really? mail talk a lot of nonsense. Yeah. They have loads of chilies. <laughs> like that's England and Ireland has loads. Of, we have loads. Okay. Like, oh, well, that's good. We probably don't have like a ghost pepper on sale in a supermarket as such, okay. but like okay. we still have like 
Little it was jalapenos, I think, in the recipe. The, yeah, oh, the recipe called can, for jalapenos. Yeah, we get them on pizzas and stuff. Like that's <laughs> okay. Okay, well, that's good. That's good to know. Because uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, really? Is that they say? <laughs> was things, so yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fascinating. Um, but chilies do work. They're an aphrodisiac as well. They literally they are an aphrodisiac. Yeah, there's a little bit of research other to support their their use but yeah i think it is it's it's all stuff that i enjoy eating and enjoy cooking and i just kind of came up with a menu that that was kind of bringing all those foods into the mix that that have those benefits so uh yeah fun delicious i i try to make every single recipe taste really good okay well that that helps like there's no point in eating something if you're just going oh my god i have to suffer yeah. through this like you're, you're not going to buy into it then i mean if you made me have water with oats all the time i i don't think i could do that but I no jazz it up with some berries and stuff yeah absolutely but you're striking me as like the very opposite to Kellogg, so who invented cornflakes. Are you familiar with his whole philosophy of like spicy food is evil? It was essentially racism as well, because he said that he was directing it towards like people of color. And um, he said, oh, that's why they have loads of kids and stuff, because the spicy food is making them have loads of sex. And we don't want people to have sex. So that's why he invented cornflakes. So bland food helps your overall wellness. And he was just also a miserable person who didn't like sex anyway. <laughs> like he didn't consummate his marriage and he adopted his kids. So he he wasn't great. So he, you were the anti-Kellogg, <laughs> which is a good thing. Yeah. One thing that I kind of regret is I did not include any meat recipes. There's a couple fish. There's a fish recipe in there. There's no meat recipes in there. And it's not because I am against eating meat. I mean, there's, you know, certainly there's bioavailable zinc in, in beef, for example. Um, I just, we have enough, lots of meat recipes. I just wanted to, you know, include some of the other ones that aren't as fatty, you know, cause if you're trying to keep down your overall fat content, fish is a great option. Um, and, um, you know, some of the other things, but, um, but anyways, everything else it's, it's simple, you know, it's simple, but delicious food. That's pretty easy to make. Um, you know, even mushrooms. So mushrooms, some of my patients say, oh, but I don't like mushrooms. I don't like the texture. They're slimy or, you know, they're this and that. So I included a um, chaga chai latte. So chaga is a mushroom that grows on the inner bark of birch trees. Okay. And it's like this woody, these woody chunks. And it was used as a coffee substitute in World War II because it has this wonderful vanilla aroma. And it's um so you boil it and it has this it has that caramel color like coffee and it has a nice flavor and if you mix it with some fennel and some cinnamon and cardamom throw in a little honey and almond milk um, you have a beautiful latte you can do it iced or, or hot and it's a way to get your mushrooms in there and, and chaga of course has loads of antioxidants and it's anti-inflammatory it has uh, so many benefits to you know, and, and you don't have to eat mushrooms. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Cause I, I think texture is a thing for, for a lot of people. So it's about, I suppose, getting creative like that and, and finding other ways and stuff. So I think like 
yeah like yeah I'm, I'm just like craving a, like a mushroom stir fry or something right now so I'm getting <laughs> off track but that would be great but you have a blog post on your website that I found really interesting and it's entitled fat chicks writing diet books question mark and I think that's really interesting because you write about um how you didn't think you would be taken seriously um as in your words, of a fat chick writing a diet book. So talk to me about that post because, you know, I think people have issues with the word fat and I'm using it there in a very positive sense and, and how you're using it. I'm not using it in a derogatory kind of way. But talk to me about why you felt the need to write that post, especially in conjunction with your book. So, um, you know, I I was worried when I, you know, even though, okay, I've got a bunch of degrees. I specialize in sexual health. You know, I've done loads of research on this book. I worried because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm like an extra large. If I look at my tag and my label on my clothes, I'm like an extra large, you know, I work out all the time. I eat healthy. I I do things like that, but you know, I'm, I'm not like a size two or what you, you know, see in fitness magazines for sure. And I thought, you know, despite all of my credentials, all the work that I've put into this book and all the science to, to support it, I worried that people would say, yeah, but um, why would we listen to this fat chick telling us what to eat when clearly she hasn't figured it out for herself? You know, that that was was what I thought, you know, do I have a credibility issue here? That was kind of a lot of just the things that that people who are fat carry with them you know, no matter how far you come to like yourself, love yourself and accept yourself, you know, those things creep in sometimes. And that's kind of what crept in as I was writing this book and starting to promote it. You know, I thought, oh, geez, do I, do I have to lose like 40 pounds in order to be a credible, um, you know, uh, a source of information? Um, of course it was a process, you know, and it was something that, you know, was, was helpful to me to kind of revisit that, you know, I had gotten to, I've grown to a a point in my life where I do like myself. I view myself as, um, you know, sexy, attractive. I, at one time in my life, I did not realize that, um, you know, weight was not really a barrier to finding a partner, to being, having happy sex. I, it was something I always that had worried about and, but I've gotten to the point in my life where, yeah, I have great sex. I like my body. I have all these things. So why are these thoughts kind of creeping back in? Um, but again, you know, it's just, it's just part of the, the, you know, part of the game. So part of the. Yeah. Like you're only human. It's really hard to unpack all those messages that we are constantly bombarded with on a daily basis. And I really like what you said. There's a little paragraph that I really like, and it's, um, you write, um, but when even when we choose to eat a salad, it's not about depriving ourselves and it's not about beating ourselves into conformity. It's about nurturing great sex while loving our bodies. Many of us refuse to base what we eat on media driven weight loss goals. But fat chicks like myself can eat for great sex. And I just think that's a really nice, healthy way of looking at things, because so often we think about food in terms of like just calories or, oh, I can't eat that. If I eat that, I have to go work out for six hours or just all the media stuff that we constantly get, you know, on every platform that we can imagine. And we internalize a lot of that. But I think it's nice that um, your your book is lit and, and your philosophy is like, it's it's not eating for weight loss and then you can have great sex. It's like you're meeting people where they're at and you can you're deserving of great sex no matter what size you are. And that should be basic common sense, but that gets drowned out in a lot of the 
the media messages that we really face like did you find people picked up on that when you were doing media interviews and things like that um yeah i mean th there were a few people who didn't want to touch a book that had the word diet in it you know just because it's you know just in an effort not to support and you know diet culture maybe not realizing that that's not what you know what my book is about and what it focuses on but certainly you know thin does not mean sexually fit you know you can be thin and have poor blood flow to the clitoris or, or to the penis um if being sexually fit is about all those things that we talked about and we can work on that at any size you know for sure I think that's really important to remember I don't think we can say that enough in, in society and yeah it's it's just to treat ourselves maybe with a bit of kindness and compassion in the midst of all the body hatred that's thrown at us on, on a very daily basis so I think that's really important so so I suppose we're, we're kind of coming up to time and stuff do you have any kind of takeaway tips no no pun intended um for people who will hopefully go and, and buy your book but in the meantime for people you know you've said like mushrooms and spinach but if you are like at a very basic 101 level and you're struggling you know if you have a very processed diet an easy kind of transition into this process yeah i think um how change one meal that's what i start with my patients change one meal try to maybe make lunch commit to say for two weeks every day for lunch while I'm, you know, at work, I'm going to make sure that I have a leafy green salad, maybe with some cruciferous and throw in maybe a baked yam for, you know, on top of that, it's a really fulfill, it's a really filling, um, delicious meal and it goes so far in the way of sex. Um, so that's, that's really a great start and talking about tips. There's also a chapter in the book that has uh, very specific tips uh, and a tutorial on oral sex. So that's in there as well. We've got tips on eating, but then there's tips on um, pleasing your partner as well, pleasing the penis and pleasing the vulva. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, because I think most people think of food and sex or oral sex. It's like, oh, drink pineapple juice and everything else will be okay. And it's like, yeah, that's good but a little bit more to the process uh, it's yeah. kind of always good so um that's fab christina i think it's really important to you know have have your voice out there and again from that perspective of it's okay to be wherever you are and it's just like just take that those little baby steps and, and you might see a massive difference so that's really good especially in the world that we live in there so where can people find you and where can people find your book I'm on uh, dietforgreatsex.com. That's my blog. And my book is on Amazon. I'm on social media at Diet for Great Sex as well. Oh, that's like really nice and smooth. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's hard to yeah get all the same usernames everywhere. So that's brilliant. Yeah. Cool. Are there plans for a sequel for the book? I don't know. I'm thinking on it. Yeah, I'm thinking on it. We'll we'll yeah. see. There's so much to you know to write about. I mean you know, great sex has so many different facets, you know, from the relationship and kindness aspect of it to, you know, food and, and, you know, there, there are so many other ways to improve the physiology of great sex too. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot we could write about. Mm, 
for sure definitely definitely well look we'll, we'll keep you posted anyway and uh, have you back on when you have book number two on the way Great. so well done brilliant Thank so thanks Samil for coming today and thanks Samil to all my listeners I hope you're munching into a great big bowl of leafy greens after this and I hope you have awesome sex as a result down the line as well so if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast the Twitter and Instagram is at Glow West Podcast and I'll chat to you next week